So we come to our sermon. And the theme of this morning's service is how to live a good life which honours God. Well, our two Bible readings this morning could hardly be more different from one another. Obviously, one's from the Old Testament and the other from the New Testament. And they're separated in time by about 820 years. But the whole tone and address of the two readings is quite different. Amos, a true prophet called by God, wrote his book of prophecy in around 760 BC, some 20 years before the better known prophet Isaiah. Amos did not see himself as a prophet. People who described themselves as prophets at that time had a tendency to be sycophantic and self-serving. They were often employed and paid by rulers and religious leaders to support ungodly behaviour. Instead, Amos worked on the land, herding sheep and managing sycamore trees. He was based in Judah, which was the southern kingdom of the whole of Israel, which was divided into the two kingdoms after King Solomon. So Judah was in the south, the two small tribes, and the big kingdom of Israel in the north, which was the other ten. But he travelled widely, and he knew the northern kingdom very well. And this is where the patriarch Jacob had long ago established an altar to God in the town of Bethel. Well, while he was there, Amos was able to observe wide divisions in society and severe inequality between rich and poor. And he describes that in a passage after the one that we've just heard. He talks about shopkeepers cheating their customers by giving them small measures, overcharging them, and selling substandard food, including sweepings off the floor. Merchants and others were also paying lip service to their religion and holding markets on the Sabbath, which was forbidden under the religious law. Well, as if that wasn't enough, the altar at Bethel was also being used to worship false gods. When Amos challenged the high priest of Bethel, Amaziah, he was told to get lost and go back to Judah. And that what went on at Bethel was simply none of his business, because it Bethel belonged to King Jeroboam II. Well, Amos could see that the northern kingdom was not only under threat from its powerful neighbour Syria, but also from the more deadly Assyrian Empire. They could not possibly expect support from God while they were ignoring political realities and breaking the law. The metaphor of the plumb line used at the beginning of the reading likens God to a master builder. And the plumb line, the means of judging the quality of the building, i.e. the people of Israel. This plumb line 
represents the balance between the standards of law and faith. And the result of God's judgment seems to be that the people were not true. If they were a building, they would be either leaning to one side or crooked. The prophecy in verse 8 reads, The Lord said, I will never again pass by my people Israel. This is a reference to the way that the angel of death passed by and saved the lives of the firstborn of all the Israelite families living in Egypt who painted a red cross of lamb's blood above their front door during that period when Moses was trying to persuade Pharaoh to let the Israelites leave Egypt, just before that miraculous escape called the Exodus across the Red Sea. So God passing by was something that they got used to absolutely relying on. God passing by was what they saw as God always protecting them, no matter what. So to never again pass by spelled disaster. To make it quite clear that that God had judged the Israelites and found them wanting, Amos prophesied that God would not save them from their Assyrian enemies. In verse 9 he goes on, The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. And verse 11 continues, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile far away from this land. So in this way, Amos, who was determined that religion which is divorced from morality is no religion at all, warned them that King Jeroboam II's impending doom and Israel's exile to Assyria were at hand. Well, the warning fell on deaf ears and the northern kingdom was eventually overrun by Assyria in 722 BC. Well, that's about 40 years after this prophecy, so it's not as if God gave them one warning and five minutes to do something. They had plenty of time, and they didn't. Well, there are many sad parallels with our world today, aren't there? Here are just a few. For months, Britain's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, has wriggled out of one scandal after another. Now irretrievably rejected by his Conservative members of Parliament, he's accepted that his premiership is over. But he's still clinging to the shreds of power. Mr Johnson was brought down by his own dishonesty. It's a personal disaster for him, and more importantly, it's really bad for the UK too. Remember Northern Ireland and the associated Well, and Johnson's brazen intent to break a European trade agreement over border control. Elsewhere in the world, things are even worse. Think of Putin's disgraceful invasion of Ukraine and Russia's associated war crimes against civilians and military people alike. 
Think of the collapse of the economy in Sri Lanka and the riots that have resulted from it. Think of the recent earthquake in Afghanistan, which has killed over a thousand people. A catastrophe in a country already facing multiple crises, including its own collapsing economy, a humanitarian crisis for women and children, and a health sector broken since the country was abandoned by the West to government by a backward-looking misogynistic Taliban. Well, let's have the contrast. Paul's letter to the church at Colossae was written some eight centuries later than the book of Amos in around AD 60 to 61. The world continued to be a difficult place just as it had been in the days of the Israelite King Jeroboam II and as it clearly still is today. Israel in AD 60 was a small part of the huge Roman Empire. Although a Roman citizen from birth, Paul had his own problems. He was writing to the congregation at Colossae in Asia Minor from house arrest in Rome while he was awaiting trial against false accusations which had been brought to him in Jerusalem. Well, in spite of false accusations and his consequent imprisonment, Paul's letter is full of hope. It was written to stem the influence of some false teaching at Colossae, which threatened to persuade the congregation into a kind of bondage to superstition, featuring angels, principalities and powers, and claiming these as essential mediators of communication between people and God. Paul would have none of this and was at pains in verse 12 to remind his congregations then and now, for we are still Paul's congregation, that they and we have already been enabled by God in Christ Jesus to share in the inheritance of the saints. And afterwards, in verses 13 and 14, he says, We have been rescued from the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, that is, the forgiveness of our sins. So Paul's message for us today in contrast to the prophet Amos, shaming that arrogant and self-serving King Jeroboam II and his sycophantic high priest Amaziah, who might they remind us of, Paul is helping us to bear in mind that God in Christ Jesus is all in all, first and last head of that great body, the church. God is all-powerful and all-generous, offering redemption and forgiveness of sins in return for our faith and our obedience to God's law, which is for us 
to love God with all our heart, with all our strength, with all our soul and all our mind, and to love our neighbour, each other, as we love ourselves. Amen.